This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Ropes, Jeff Hawkins here, writing solo again, doing a Stomping Grounds preview, some basic general overview of things on both Raw and SmackDown this week, um, of interest to me, and if you have similar taste to me, uh, the WWE Network just uploaded a whole bunch more Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling from 1985 and now 1986 was watching an episode of that before I recorded tonight. Shake Them Ropes' favorite Hollywood John Tatum doing uh, doing the honors to help put over Ron Bass. I thought that was interesting. This is before John Tatum got a big push in world class, I believe. So that was kind of cool. Kind of cool to see Joel Deaton before he became a Thunderfoot. and a, I believe it was... Oh, I always get Joel Deaton and Len Denton mixed up. But I believe I'm right on that one. The Andersons, Tully Blanchard, and a squash. The main event was Dusty Magnum and the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez taking on the Russians. So, you know, I'm I'm 12 years old and I'm sitting in front of the TV again watching wrestling. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, tropes at work. Work. Beginning of that show, it's, uh, I believe it's 7 was a music video hyping the soon-to-be-appearing Rock and Roll Express. Just highlights of all their moves and stuff to get people excited. You know, professional wrestling is not hard to book. It's just people make it difficult at times. Speaking of which, both Raw and SmackDown to me had a rather... Is it just me, or is... It's a dark tone, but it's an artificially dark tone on both shows. Like, I, I liken it to like the comic book industry in the early 90s, maybe early to mid-90s. Now, back, back when I was very young in comic books, if there was a death, it was traumatic almost. You know, Gwen Stacy, um, Bucky... You had your certain ones that, you know, Uncle Ben, of course, for Spider-Man, although those were before my time for the most part, but, you know, you, you wouldn't have a lot of killing in comics. And if you had killing, it would be something like the Punisher killing a bunch of Kingpin's men. You know, heroes and villains didn't die all that often, and a lot of that changed around 85, 86. Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths in D.C., killed off Supergirl, and killed off a bunch of other heroes trying to get their universe collected. But Marvel came up with a character called Scourge of the Underworld. And it was uh, it was hyped as being a crossover type thing, or you'd have to go hunt issues, or you'd have to buy every issue of Marvel to see if he was going to show up. Because what he was doing is he was going around killing villains. Mostly villains from the Golden Age who made absolutely no sense in the Silver Age. 
few Silver Age villains. But, you know, a guy like, you know, a guy like my parents, when they were kids, would have read in a comic book, you know. A guy like Turner D. Century, who dresses like somebody from the 1920s to rob banks. You know, goofy characters like that, you know, kind of one-note villains that never caught on. You know, you had a couple of legendary villains get killed in the those crossover. The Melter, who had, was a member of the Masters of Evil, or the Fly, who was a very famous villain. But nobody too big. It was just mostly, you know, your B and C level villains. And then as we kept going along, sometime around 1990, 91, 92 maybe, Grunge came out. And the Punisher kind of got a rejuvenation with his own series. And Image Comics started to form, you know, Rob Liefeld when he left uh, Marvel after doing the X-Men. I forget what year that was. Might be mid-90s. My timeline might be off here. But everybody had to be quote-unquote cool. And I spell that K-E-W-L. In that you'd introduce heroes and villains. And the first thing they would do is kill somebody. You know, the, the, um, you know, the symbiote from, from uh, Venom, you know, he'd kill somebody or, and then Carnage would come up and then you'd get, uh, you know, this Iron Man armor killing Blacklash or in DC you'd get, you know, it, because basically what happened was the writers couldn't write your goofy villain of the week anymore. You know, and you had to have some sort of event to shock people's consciousness. You couldn't have, like in Flash, Captain Cold and the Rogues are going to rob another bank, you know. You'd have major events like the Flash killed Reverse Flash, but it's like, okay, what do we do now? And so, even in DC, they decided to have a an event called uh, Underworld Unleashed, where basically all of the major villains in DC sold their soul to the devil to get new souped-up powers to be meaner and more evil and more weirder. And it was like Black Manta, this classic Aquaman villain, was turned into a killer fish, you know. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was just ridiculous, you know. It, it's kind of like if, if you read X-Men, the secondary power of mutant or secondary mutation storyline, but it was done for, like, all the villains because the only villains who were selling at the time were, like, Darkseid and the Joker, you can't put them in every book. You know, kind of like they tried to put Wolverine in every book in Marvel for a while just to sell them. But to my point, it feels like... Well, actually, I can't start that point, but heroes started to get an edge, too. You started getting more anti-heroes, and you started getting... You know, Captain America got a black suit, and, and Spider-Man had the symbiote, and... You know, everybody, all the heroes started to get a little bit more moody and edgy as opposed to being happy. And and after a while, it just became so dark that, you know, you didn't want to read comics because they were depressing all the time. You know, Frank Miller's Daredevil, which, while it's great, it's a depressing read. The Kingpin, you know, goes after Daredevil's family and friends and destroys this and tries to destroy his life. It's like... Yeah, and he gets his comeuppance, but at the same time, it just continues to be a dark and moody book. And eventually, a couple of the comics, you know, your major comics, your Justice Leagues, and your X-Men's, and your Supermans, and your Green Lanterns, and uh, what what other ones were there? 
because X-Men had that period where it was dark and moody because you'd have like all these mutant killers. So, you know, every every other year you'd have a have an event where, you know, the Sentinels come in or the Marauders come in. They kill a couple of lesser known X-Men, you know, to to stir people around. But death eventually became a plot device. It didn't mean anything to kill anybody. And most of those people would come back. But you also didn't have any real heroes. You know, a, a couple of uh, a couple of books just would have to reboot, and then eventually, like Justice League had like six reboots in like ten years. It was absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, they were trying to make sense of their old stories. Like in Justice League, they they had that, uh, or they had the miniseries um, Identity Crisis, where the heroes eventually became villains for the most part. They were mind wiping villains, and that's why you could always have. You know, Captain Boomerang show up, you know, four years later to have another plot, and it seemed like nothing had ever happened. But the villains became, or the heroes became morally complicit like the villains. And that's kind of what's happened here in the WWE. I'm not saying it's a direct port. And I know I've been rambling for five minutes about comic books, and you're saying, when are you going to get to the wrestling, Hawkins? But, like, you watch Seth Rollins over these two shows, and he's not just beating up bad people. He's beating up... Eric Young was just being talked to by Baron Corbin. And this sociopath with a chair comes and just beats the holy crap out of him. I felt uncomfortable watching that beating because I'm just like, he didn't really do anything wrong. I mean, he had plausible deniability. Sure, I said I'd think about it just to get rid of Corbin, which is what's been shown on screen from time to time. I I just, it, it's one of those things where they can't, write a hero anymore. I think Bailey's dead after this SmackDown. I don't mean literally dead, but the character is dead. And it goes into all the all the weird things I was talking about last week and two weeks ago when they were putting her with Alexa Bliss and how Alexa Bliss's charisma and just the way she scripted as being demeaning really overpower anything in the room. And especially with Bailey, who's trying to rebuild herself as a self-confident champion type. And they just really stuck a dagger in that this week. Absolutely stuck a dagger in with, with Alexa Bliss. Now, it, more on SmackDown than on Raw. But on that SmackDown show, Alexa Bliss is cutting a promo basically on Bailey, the person behind the character. And... Oh, you mistreated me when I was in NXT because I wasn't as good as as you as a wrestler, but now I'm here in WWE and I'm a star and I've done everything you couldn't. It's a little too shooty. It's a little too meta. It's a little too behind the veil. What, what you need to do on this, in my opinion, is you attack this new confident Bailey as that being the fake part of her, not Bailey the person. Because we want people to root for her. <laughs> you know, you can't root for somebody where you're thinking, well, maybe that's true. And that's where the natty thing on Raw started all this. Where it's like, wow, did Bailey really not take a picture with a fan? Why would you ever say that about a babyface character on television? Because on television, it makes the character true. Unless... 
unless it's so over the top and, oh, I couldn't possibly believe that. But that wasn't the delivery at all. It was, wow, Natty's kind of a jerk for calling out Bailey for possibly not taking a photo with a fan. And it felt like a bit of a dig at Sasha, to be honest with you, but that's how they operate in the WWE. But back to this moment of bliss thing. I mean, Bailey fought as good as she could on that, but the problem was the charges against her were far too real. They were far too believable. And while I like believability in my wrestling, this just felt like a takedown of Bailey more than a takedown of Bailey the character. Let me know if you agree, because I'm watching that and going, God. And here's the other thing. I think also Bailey's moment was the cash in. That's the moment. Because right now they're telling the story of Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. And Bailey's a plot device in Alexa Bliss's story because she's the star. And that makes absolutely no sense either. It, this was something that needed to be held off for a month or two while they built up Bailey as this fighting champion and to get rid of the old gullible baby face, oh, I'm going to be distracted by music type and rebuild her as someone that people can get behind because nobody wants to get behind a loser. And my problem is, it appears that Vince McMahon does not know how to write, especially babyface women, as straight-ahead good people. Everybody's catty. Everybody's backstabbing. You know, for men, they're all, you know, the alpha dogs in the room. I come in the room, I'll punch you in the face just to show you that I'm the best guy in the world. Look at me, you know, kind of thing. With women, it's all, you know, everybody's manipulative and backstabbing. It's, it's just, it, it becomes mentally straining on you to go, who am I supposed to like in any of these stories? Who are we rooting for? Who are the archetypes? You know, if you watch an old professional wrestling show like the one I was watching, you know who the good guys are, you know who the bad guys are, you know who the main bad guys are, and you know who the main good guys are. You kind of do here, but your main bad guy is Shane McMahon. Your main good guy is Roman and somewhat Seth Rollins, and that feels like McMahon and Stone Cold, and it feels like they're trying to make him Stone Cold Seth Rollins. It, it's kind of ridiculous, because... Rollins was a heel, and he was a very effective heel. Now, if you're going to play that in the story, say that. Say that, hey, I've been on that side of the ledger before. I know what it takes to get things done. But him just coming in swinging willy-nilly a chair, eh, it was a little, it was a step too far. I understand the story. I thought it was an interesting story. But at the same time, Baron Corbin seeing this did not do anything. And that's the other thing. Bad guys are not plotters in the WWE. If I'm Baron Corbin, I see Seth Rollins attacking whoever puts on a jersey, referee shirt, is going to get hit with a chair. I start picking out his friends as special referees and say, okay, what do you do now? I mean, that's an interesting twist to it. But instead, it was mostly... There's a lot of this. There's a lot of geeks getting beat up this week. The Heath Slater beating made me a little uncomfortable. Not that I don't like Edge. I like an Edge to my wrestling product. It's just that the WWE does Edge in a weird way. 
Or say, yeah, look at this edge. (laughs) They're kind of soaking it in as opposed to me believing it's an actual beating. But to that, we have a pay-per-view here on Sunday. Raw is doing historic loan numbers without it being a holiday or without it going up against major sports finals such as the NBA and the NHL. There are no excuses anymore. But we are also in the, the the peak down period of WWE. That period in between Mania and SummerSlam where they haven't really gotten their SummerSlam programs going. The other one is usually right after SummerSlam up until the end of the year. But ticket sales have not been good for this show. I'm expecting them to probably try something to get buzz going. I thought they might do it on SmackDown, just get ticket sales up. But you could see one or two changes you weren't expecting here. I don't believe you will, but I'm just laying that out as a possibility. So let's go over this card. Tony Nese versus Drew Gulak and Akira Tozawa in a triple threat match for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. I have not yet watched 205 Live. It is currently broadcasting as I record this. But I fully expect Drew Gulak to win this title. He's the most interesting character on 205 Live. Um, there's been a few rumblings behind the scenes that this Tony Nese character has not caught on like they thought he might. Still a good wrestler. I think the match is going to be excellent, but I think, I think you follow the interesting, and I think Drew Gulak here is the interesting, and eventually you put him up against Umberto Carrillo, and, uh, that becomes your main event picture on 205 Live. But I expect Drew Gulak to win here. Tony Nese has had a nice run with the title, got the hometown pop. Um, We need to establish this show in a new creative direction, and I think Drew Gulak's going to be the man behind it. For the SmackDown Tag Team titles, Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan, a.k.a. Rowan, versus Heavy Machinery, Otis and Tucker. Oh, did I love Daniel Bryan's commentary on this match tonight on SmackDown. Referencing... The athleticism, referencing that they'd rather be goofy, also referencing the Bushwhackers past as the Sheep Herders. And he is exactly right. If you've never seen them, look them up. For anybody who did not know, the one of the Sheep Herders flag wavers was one Johnny Ace, Daniel Bryan's father-in-law, which is why Corey made the, that joke. I'm here to annotate classic wrestling references for all of you. Otis and Tucker are probably going to do their thing, but I don't see them winning the titles here just yet. I think Daniel Bryan finds a way to snooker Otis in a way to pin him, but you're going to get to see someone, probably Rowan, take the Caterpillar. They're going to get all their spots in. Heavy Machinery is probably going to look really strong in this match, but they are still going to lose, perhaps even by a disqualification. Or they'll win by disqualification, but they will not win the titles. New Day, Big E, and Xavier Woods taking on Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Owens and Zayn lost on both SmackDown and Raw. I could see a way where they get their win back here, or they may just be beatable every time you're out because people are so invested in these characters, they don't care. Owens and Zayn are very, very entertaining, but they're stooges. They're they're stooges for the main guys right now. 
And maybe that's where they're supposed to be in the WWE. Maybe they're not supposed to be great wrestlers. Maybe they're just supposed to be great personalities who are there to put over the stars. But it should be a fun match because all four guys are really fun. Interested to see how Biggie's injury is healed up. Knees are funny things. I always get a little nervous for the guys who have knee problems because I still have mine. Samoa Joe takes on Ricochet for the WWE United States Championship. I think people are overvaluing how much... It's going to be a very good match. It's not going to be a great match. Because you can't put on a great match here, I don't think. Um, just given the positioning on the card. I think uh, I think it'll be solid. I think Joe will win. Feet on the rope somehow. Maybe a belt shot. Heels always have to cheat. So Samoa Joe's going to cheat and he's going to win. He's going to retain. Kofi Kingston taking on Dolph Ziggler for the steel ca- in a steel cage match for the WWE Championship. I think this is the end of Dolph's run here. I think he gets a uh, gets a loss. Kofi retains. Maybe someone comes in and beats him up afterwards. Maybe even Brock comes in and cashes in in the cage. Who knows? But I think we move on to the next program for Kofi, and whoever he's going up against will make an appearance somewhere in here. Or they'll wait till Tuesday. Can't tell for sure, but Kofi Kingston is definitely winning this match. Becky Lynch takes on Lacey Evans for the Raw Women's Championship. Man, how bad was that go-home promo from both of these ladies, who I both adore? Why are we bringing up the Marine past now? That should have been brought up when this started to get her over as being tough. Now it's a babyface line. And you don't want people rooting for Lacey Evans in this match. It's absolutely boggling how they've built this up. Becky does the, how do I put this? She seems, uh, she plays disaffected. I'm just going to make this promo whatever and whatever and whatever, whatever. And she's good at this, but her aura has gone down a bit since, since winning the triple threat at Mania. And I expect her to be strong in this match. I think Lacey's probably going to get a little bit too much offense in it. We're revisiting a match we've already seen, so I don't think there's that much interest in it. Um, It may set up something for later in the show, but I'm not positive about that. But I I expect Becky Lynch to retain here. Roman Reigns taking on Drew McIntyre. Is there a chance that Seth Rollins becomes involved in this storyline and is the next one for Shane and Drew? Possibly. I could see them doing Stone Cold versus Mr. McMahon, except it's Shane versus Seth Rollins. But remember, Shane also, quote-unquote, beat Roman in Saudi Arabia. I don't know how long they want this storyline to go. It feels like a place Roman should win. I just don't know. I, I it's It's weird because usually in these types of feuds... You'd normally say Drew McIntyre wins to establish him being a dominant heel. And then Roman has to find a way to regroup, train, do whatever. You get a stipulation of some kind and he gets his win later and vanquishes him. But it feels like Roman needs a win here. I just don't know where you put Roman after this. And I get the feeling he's going to be in this feud with Shane and whoever his lackeys are 
for a while. So I'm going to say maybe the Revival get involved here again after getting beat up on Monday. Somehow Roman loses again or gets disqualified. And this angle continues. Bailey takes on Alexa Bliss for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. Alexa Bliss is winning this. I know. I can't believe I'm saying that. But here's where Jeff's cynicism goes full bore. Alexa is a star. If you hear crowd reactions to Alexa Bliss, they're still pretty darn big wherever you go, even if she is a heel. She's entertaining as hell in the WWE style. She does the skits well. She does pratfalls well. She does the stupid talk show segments well. She's very, very talented. And she's blonde. And Vince really, really likes her. Bailey is a good wrestler. That's all she brings to the table. And in other times, that would be enough. It's not enough here. I hope she's strong in defeat. I get the feeling Nikki Cross may end up costing her the match and we get a Nikki versus Bailey feud. And we continue the friendship of Alexa and Nikki Cross where Nikki has helped her get the belt, but Alexa is still not appreciating Nikki at all. I hope I'm wrong on that. I think there are other feuds for Bailey to have before losing this title belt. But right now, everything on the story points to they're telling the story of Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. So you either have to get Bailey the hell away from this story, or she has to lose to Alexa Bliss to heighten the story. And in writer's terms, the interesting choice is to give Alexa the title, even though she doesn't need it. And even though Bailey needs it desperately to reestablish credibility. Now, I'll give you another thing. It's possible Sasha Banks comes back here. I don't think she does. I don't know what's going on with her. I haven't heard anything. But I figure her return will be a huge surprise. And she may come out to even out things against Nikki Cross, who has all of a sudden become enamored with trying to please Alexa Bliss. So she's kind of going heel without really realizing it. Sasha Banks comes out, keeps Nikki from interfering. Alexa Bliss gets rolled up by Bailey, so it's not really a strong win. One, two, three. That's the only way I could see Bailey winning this match. But the good money, I think, would be on Alexa Bliss to win it. And then maybe, uh, maybe they go after the tag team titles after, uh, because what they did on SmackDown was they said in Tokyo, the, uh, not the Sky Pirates. I forgot what they called themselves. Uh, but but Asuka, oh, <laughs> the Kabuki Warriors. Uh, yeah, uh, basically Asuka and Kyrie are getting a um, contenders match against Peyton and Billy in Tokyo, where they will get the hometown win to set up a title match for probably Extreme Rules, where they will probably lose. So you can always put Bailey and Sasha in after them, but... It's down the road. I see Alexa Bliss winning this title and uh, moving on while Bailey tries to get it. Uh, Nikki becomes morally conflicted and we tell that story. Finally, Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin for the WWE Universal Championship. Guest referee to be determined. So, kids, 
who do we think is going to be the special referee? Generally, this is a spot for either a returning superstar who you don't know if he's babyface or heel, but he eventually reveals himself in the match. Or a guy you've been doing vignettes for. This could be a place for a Bray Wyatt or an Aleister Black to be introduced, and then he ends up kicking whoever he's going to feud with first. I think the special guest referee is going to be Brock Lesnar. I think that's why Heyman's been so heavy on both Raw and SmackDown. I think Baron makes a deal, quote-unquote, with Heyman for Brock to be the referee. We could possibly get uh, the scenario I was thinking of in Saudi Arabia, but here, where Brock agrees to be the referee, Seth is down somewhere, Brock cashes in, F5's Corbin, and walks out with the title. You could do that. Um, But I think the chair thing plus Heyman equals Brock's presence throughout this match. And when is he going to screw with Seth Rollins? Now, Brock could always call it down the middle and just say, no, you don't understand my client here. He wants a one-on-one match with you because you beat him. And he, he wants to get that back for his own ego's sake. Baron Corbin doesn't matter to my client, Brock Lesnar, etc., etc. But I do think Brock Lesnar is making an appearance here. And I think he's probably going to be the guest referee. Or it's going to be someone anticlimactic. You know, Teddy Long. Someone on the take. Maybe they do a screw job. Or they try to do a screw job and it's foiled and someone else comes down as referee. Makes account. There's a lot of weird things you can do here. The one thing you should know is that Baron Corbin is not walking out with the title. Either Seth Rollins is or Brock Lesnar is. But that's stomping grounds. Other things on Raw, you know, we had the, uh, you know, we we had angles <laughs> building up this show. I wouldn't say nothing major other than Drake Maverick is your new 24-7 champion. We can get that story going, and however it ties into his 205 live reign. We're finally doing something with the women's tag team titles. We're kind of doing something with Sonya Deville and Ember Moon. The Authors of Pain made an appearance on SmackDown. I'd welcome them back. Make them both the referee. That'd be kind of interesting. Sheamus was another one I was thinking. He just posted a nice, lean picture of himself. He is jacked to the gills, but... Not swole, he is just cut, and he looks really, really good. And I hope his back problems or his spinal problems or whatever have dissipated with him dropping some of the weight. But yeah, we'll see. This is kind of a, uh, it's not a major pay-per-view, so you don't expect a lot of big things to happen. You just kind of expect stories to continue in some way or another. So um, I will probably be watching it. I don't know if I'm going to be watching it live and doing Fightful, but if I do, I will put it on my Twitter. You can follow up my Twitter at CrapGame13. Chris will be back on Friday. We just, we just on Sunday night, recorded an episode for the Patreon, patreon.com slash shakethemropes. Should drop tomorrow or the next day. He's out of town, but uh, we watched 20 years later Beyond the Mat. And we had a lively one-hour discussion about that. This is not a live watch. This is just kind of going through scene by scene. How 20 years has has affected our view on a lot of the people that they followed in this movie. 
Um, I've become a lot more jaundiced about some of the people, including people you are supposed to like in this movie. Um, but it is one of the seminal wrestling documentaries out there. It did a lot for my opinions on Vince McMahon and WWF, now WWE. Uh, I will That will go on the Shake Them Ropes account. Um, we'll let you know that, so you can follow that at Shake Them Ropes. You can follow Chris at Chris Nova Ambrino. The mysterious Rob McCarron is at Rob Cass. I don't know if he's ever coming back. But uh, we made this nice and short. That is your Stomping Grounds preview. Long enough podcast for you to walk a dog. We'll be back uh, a little bit longer on Friday sometime with NXT, NXT UK, and 205 Live. I'm Jeff Hawkins. Thanks, as always, for listening.